Are you willing to go to any lengths in your recovery? How do we find that willingness? Welcome to episode 216 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Nancy, Eric, Danielle, Kayla, Gloria, and Susan. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Nancy, Eric, Danielle, Kayla, Gloria, and Susan for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During the show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Eric. Thank you for uh, suggesting the topic, Eric. Hey, good morning, Spencer. Greetings from Greenwich, Connecticut. Beautiful day here. As you might have guessed, we're talking about willingness today. So the reading is from How Al-Anon Works, Section 2, Chapter 23, Lessons in Faith, which in the softcover book, at least, is on page 196. Over the years, I've spent much of my time trying to bend life and other people to my will, only to fail miserably. I've also tried to change myself, eliminate my character defects, and force myself to feel differently. Again, I've always failed. So why did change happen so much more readily after I returned to the program? The most important difference I can see is that by the time I returned, I was willing to be helped. It was the same old lesson. God didn't need my instructions about how to heal me. My job was not to identify all the changes that should be made so that God would know what to do. My job was to be willing to accept his, his will for me, willing to heal. Since that time, I've done a great deal of thinking about willingness, which seems to be the key to any changes I want to make. I keep remembering a vacation I took with my children. Equipped with 18-wheeler inner tubes, helmets, and leather gloves, we tubed the Yakima River for three days. We chose a four-mile stretch of river near a dam. The more water released from the dam, the faster the river flowed, and the greater the rush of water over the rocks. After each run, we were exhilarated, a little scared, and ready to go again. The picture of this trip kept nagging at me whenever I thought about willingness, but I couldn't see how it related until I looked up the word in my thesaurus. Agreeable, open, responsive, pliable, yielding, bending, shapeable, teachable, compliant, and obedient were some of the synonyms I found. I thought about pushing the inner tube away from the bank into the rush of the stream. It was important to relax and not fight the rapids, to bend and steer away from the rocks to be responsive to sudden changes, to be pliable and yielding. In order to experience the thrill of the ride, we had to be willing to go with the flow. Then I thought about my attitudes. I often sit with my arms crossed in front of me. I sleep curled up in a ball. I hold my mouth tightly closed. I'm frequently inflexible about changing my attitudes or plans. I tend to be brittle and reluctant to do things unless they're done my way. When I'm not willing to let go, I'm trying to control. When I'm not willing to listen, I'm self-righteous. When I'm not willing to accept reality, I'm in denial. But my life can be as exhilarating as tubing the river if I develop the habit of meeting each situation with openness, ready to go with the flow and see what happens. I can just show up at the river, willing to push off into the stream, knowing that I have my inner tube under me, God, and my helmet and gloves the tools of recovery in Al-Anon, especially the 12 steps. I haven't mastered this approach to living, though I'm excited about it. My progress may be slow, but I inch forward a bit every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reading. I just want to quickly interject that it's on page 257 in my hardcover edition. So they're in very different places in the two, the two versions of the book, which is. So we got some definitions, uh, synonyms of, of willingness in the reading there. I know you looked up a definition or two. What did you have? 
Yeah, the one that keeps jumping out is teachable and responsive and open and agreeable. I think at first, some of the words kind of trigger me as a doormat kind of, you know, obedient. And uh, I think a lot of us were just overly obedient, overly agreeable, overly, you know, bending and shaping, but yielding ourselves to other people and the disease. So that's why this subject is, you know, a little hairy. And I think that's worth uh, looking further into because of that reason. Now, how does this apply to recovery? The definition that I Googled up here from, what was it, Oxford Dictionaries, is the quality or state of being prepared to do something. Readiness, and the synonyms readiness, inclination, will, wish, desire. And Scrabble Points 15 on this one. <laughs> Gotta get those Scrabble Points. <laughs> it is Oxford. Oxford's the one that has Scrabble Points. So that's going to be the go-to for now. The idea is obviously to be pliable and be willing to go with the flow, which is that reading puts it yeah. such uh, vividly into perspective of, you know, trying to paddle up river and avoid the rocks, you know, inevitably ends up with us exhausted and banged up, you know. I was thinking, you know, when you suggested willingness, it appears a lot in our program literature. And I went and I have electronic copies of how Elanon works and of courage to change. And the word willingness appears in, in how Elanon works, I think almost 16 or 20 times and encouraged to change even more times. So there's clearly a fundamental concept of, of the program is this willingness. I started thinking about things that I had heard in the rooms outside the rooms about, about willingness in recovery. I was talking with a, an AA friend just yesterday said, yeah, I'm going to be doing a podcast topic on willingness. And, and I thought about this slogan, uh, honest, open and willing or acronym, how that I've heard a lot from AA people. And he said, Oh yeah, well it's on the back of our like recovery tokens that we get. Like okay, this is really a fundamental, (laughs) really a fundamental concept in in that program. I think about when I finally was willing to even consider the concept of coming to the Al-Anon program at all. Okay, that took some willingness to just get me in the door, the willingness to to try something different. That particular willingness for me came out of pain. It came out of hitting a bottom, came out of a realization that this thing that I had been trying to do for so long, which was to get my wife sober, was not a thing that was within my power. And somewhere in in some of the literature, it speaks of that step one, that admitting that we're powerless over alcohol requires a certain amount of willingness, a certain uh, being willing to, to make that admission and being willing to walk into the room of a meeting for the first time, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing who I was going to see there, not knowing if it was really going to help at all. I had to work against my unwillingness to get there in the first place. So that's that's where I first encountered this concept, although I certainly didn't realize I was encountering willingness at that point, but I had broken through my unwillingness to just get into the Al-Anon program at all. Like all of these topics, when they come up and they pop into my head, the more I think, the more that it makes sense, and the more places I see it, and the more areas I find use of it. It strikes me as, and I shared this on my Saturday meeting, it was a large meeting I went to a little further away, called a pitch meeting where you have three-minute shares in a big group. And it occurred to me during that meeting, if you start every one of the 12 steps with the word willing, they all work. Am I willing to admit that I'm powerless over alcohol? Am I willing to come to believe there's a power greater than ourselves? Am I willing to make a decision to turn our will over? Am I willing to do a searching and fearless inventory? All of them. They they all could begin with the word. 
Uh, am I willing to be humble and ask him to remove my shortcomings? It, it's about giving up the fight and uh, going with the flow. And this one, I just on a hunch looked up while we were beginning the show, and I wondered, because it's such a prevalent concept in the AA rooms, and after all, I mean, our program is pulled directly from theirs in almost every regard. They have a very prominently displayed thing on the walls of their rooms called the Promises. And although some people don't specifically like to refer to them as the Al-Anon Promises, it can also be the gifts. And it's from from Survival to Recovery, page 269, 270. It actually begins with the phrase, If we willingly surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps and work the program, our lives will be transformed. I mean, talk about a powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to willingly surrender, and we have to willingly have the courage to no longer live in denial and fear and have the willingness and courage to, to change. So that's why this, for me... Although seemingly a rather simple, benign topic is really kind of at the root of our program and the willingness to believe and the willingness to have faith and be teachable and being willing to let go of what didn't work for us in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, back to the first reading, you know, when I'm not willing to let go, I'm trying to control. When I'm not willing to listen, I'm self-righteous. When I'm not willing to accept reality, I'm in denial. Pretty basic <laughs> beginning for how this program works. Willing to let go of our preconceived, you know, misguided and often clouded and confused and warped perception that this disease can bring on and fill our minds and hearts. So willingness is, is kind of precedes step one in some regards. Indeed, indeed. And I found this little paragraph again from How Al-Anon Works, chapter three, which is titled Finding Help. And it says, it takes great courage to take the risk and go to that first Al-Anon meeting. It isn't easy to go against old beliefs and fears and reach out to other people for strength, guidance, and support. Finding the willingness to admit that we need help can be one of the greatest challenges we ever face, but it can also be one of the most rewarding. That just really echoed my own experience that I guess courage applied to me. It was breaking through resistance. I don't know, going against old beliefs and fears. I mean, I, I don't think I would have admitted that it was fears. I think it was, it was, I don't need this. I can do this on my own. Right. And, and finding willingness to admit we need help. Yeah. And that to me also just permeates this program that every time Every time I face a challenge in recovery, I almost have to break through that unwillingness to ask for help. I have to find the willingness to ask for help over and over. <laughs> and I guess it gets easier. You know, it took me years to get to my first meeting. It didn't take me that long to call my sponsor when I was stuck in a rut after a few years in the program. It didn't take me that long to go to a meeting and say, I don't know what to do when my child was in a situation that, that needed me to help them out of it. I said, if, if they were in rehab, I'd know how to handle this, but I don't know how to handle this. You know, just saying that in a meeting, I mean, nobody came back and said, well, this is what you can do. Okay. But, I guess, you know, just thinking about that right now, that was sort of, that was sort of a prayer for help is what it was. It was saying, saying it out loud. I don't know what to do. And the next day when I arrived where my kid was, I did have a, a concept of what to do that, that continued to develop through the visit that was about applying the tools that I had learned in Al-Anon in dealing with active alcoholism to a different situation. And being able to provide support without enabling, for example. But I had to ask. I had to, I had to be willing to accept help. I think in order to ask, in order to reach out, in order to find it, it, it came back to me through my higher power, through the experience of what I had, had learned in the program. So willingness to ask for help has been a big thing for me in this program. 
Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, willing to say, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. And willing to ask for help, as you said, and being humble. It is a humbling, humbling process to admit to ourselves, to God, that we can't do it alone and that we need help. I need help. Willingness, I would almost call it step zero, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at the end of that paragraph from the reading you just did, uh, again, uh, chapter three, finding help says, when we finally realize that we're sick and tired of being sick and tired, we open a door to unlimited possibilities for change, for hope, and for a happier and richer life. That's just being willing to say, I don't know. And I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't know about what an alcoholic experiences as their bottom. You know, mm-hmm. I think that we all have uh, our own places where we call. I know what mine was. It was just complete and utter catastrophic paralysis of fear that brought me to the rooms and came in crawling over broken glass on my hands and knees is the way it felt. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked to somebody and said, you know, I felt like I was just walking barefoot on razor blades when mm. I came into the room. And, you know, I don't speak like that anymore, you know. Now, even with the worst and most difficult challenges, that's the way I speak of them, just as what happened last week with my daughter and ex-wife, and it was horrific. But I handled it in a, such a different way than I would have seven years ago before I had the tools of recovery. When I admit and I'm willing to say that uh, this is not my under my control. This is not something I caused. And I'm willing to go with what happens instead of just forcing my way to change it, forcing, trying to force others and life to be different than it really is. Mm-hmm. So the willingness to look at things honestly and to say, you know, and it's, it's an awareness and it's a clarity being teachable. And, and letting go uh, of things that are beyond our control that has really can transform us, as the uh, promises say, if we are willing to surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline, our lives will be transformed. Amazing. It just, it starts out with that statement. Yeah. And they were, or mine was. Sounds like yours was, too. Yeah, and it continues. I also thought about willingness and the steps thing you've already talked a little bit about that and i hadn't i hadn't heard that particular vision before sticking the word willing in front of each step i just made it made it up yesterday <laughs> it's brilliant but i looked at the steps and the word will or willing appears literally in step 3 mm-hmm. made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of god as we understood him so that's that takes a willingness to let go of control, right? Yeah. And in step eight, obviously, yeah. made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. But then I started thinking about the other steps. We have step four, which in order to do that searching and fearless moral inventory, we have to have a willingness to look deeply into ourselves, right? That was what blocked me from that for a long time. I was not willing to, to do that look because I knew I would find horrible stuff. And when I finally actually was sort of forced into it because I was working with a, a group of people as we were working through the steps and we were kind of going through them together and we got to step four, I was like, well, okay, you know, that peer pressure thing, that works really well for me sometimes. By the time I got in there, I also obviously had some willingness. In step five, I found this, in a reading somewhere, probably in multiple readings, in doing step five and admitting to God to ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, we're also opening ourselves to a willingness to change. Because if we don't open ourselves to a willingness to change at that point, where are we? It's like, oh, all these things are wrong, and they're going to be wrong with me forever. Well, no, I'm I'm willing to do something about them, or I wouldn't be doing this work right now. And that also carries over into step six, where we became entirely ready to have all our shortcomings or whatever it says removed, defects of character or something. And I looked at step 11, which is about prayer and meditation and improving our conscious contact with God as we understand God. 
in order to perform step 11, there's a willingness to deepen my relationship with a higher power. And then, as you found, it's really in every single step. It really is. In every single step, there's a willingness to move forward at least. How do you see them? How do you see willingness in the steps? Well, you know, I'm going to go back to the second sentence in the Al-Anon Promises. It says, members work the program by being willing to attend meetings on a regular basis, read Al-Anon, Alateen literature, getting a sponsor, working toward applying the 12 steps of recovery to their lives, and becoming involved in Al-Anon service work as they begin to recover. It's all about willingness. It is about being willing to work the program. And it's sad and unfortunate that I know many, many people that are in the rooms for as long or much longer than I am that still kind of are spinning, you know, treading water. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear from these readings and what we're hearing is it's willing to work the program. And uh, this leads into something that I mentioned in a previous episode, and then it leads me right into what a sponsee of mine texted, the importance of this concept of willingness. One of the prior episodes I mentioned uh, that I'd heard on a, a another podcast somewhere, or maybe it was actually, I think it was on one of the um, podcasts you did uh, open, an open uh, talk. And the woman speaking had a lot of years of recovery and she was approached by someone to, who asked, would you be my sponsor? Mm-hmm. And she said something that at the time sounded pretty hardcore to me, but now putting in context of this subject actually makes complete sense. And it'll make even more sense when you read how they do it in AA or how they advise taking on a sponsee. And what she said in the podcast that you had said, are you willing to do what I've done for as long as I've done it to get what I have? And that means working the steps. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, you know, uh, the gym once a week and expecting to go to the, the Olympics next year. You got to work it on a daily basis. Are you willing to do that? And so, a sponsor, a sponsor of mine, Don, sent to me this about his program, and he's dual program many, many years in both. Uh, he said, so the how, which is what you mentioned in the beginning, honest, open, and willing, right? Mm-hmm. How honest, open, willing of the program is in the spiritual experience. We find that no one need have difficulty with spiritual spirituality in the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. It means you don't have to believe anything. You just have to be willing to believe. I'll do that again. It means you don't have to believe anything. You just have to be willing to believe. And the next he said, he went on to say, the next one, page 58, how it works. Chapter 5 in the big book, yeah. Okay. So this one says on page 58, if you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. And every good sponsor asks their new sponsee, are you willing to go to any lengths? Because if they're not, you have to move on to somebody who is willing. That is pretty powerful. Well, you know where I've heard that, why it's burned into my brain is because Early in my program, I attended a lot of AA open talks, a lot of speaker talks. And at the beginning of each of those, they would read the AA preamble. They would read the how it works, at least those. So I've heard, I've heard those words hundreds, hundreds of times and they're, they're kind of burned in, but it's that willingness that is so key. And so I was not willing for so long to even consider the possibility that those 12 steps were something I would do. And then when I found myself, hey, here I am in Al-Anon, then it comes back to that question, are you willing to do what I've done for as long as I did it to get what I have? Turn that around, I started to see the people in the rooms who were healthy in recovery And when I say healthy, I mean spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, because that's where I was suffering. I just could not, I I didn't have serenity. I had anger and despair and fear. And here were these people who didn't. And so the question was, how did you get there? 
how do I get there? That's the question, right? The question is, how do I get there? And the answer was, do what we've done. So then I had to say, am I willing to do that? How can I be willing to do that? I want what you have. How much, how much of my own will do I have to give up? Right. right. <laughs> All of it's the answer. <laughs> this came from a reading that I found probably encouraged to change. I don't remember now about, about becoming willing because of seeing the results that other people had gained and becoming willing to try to do what they did because, Hey, it might work for me too. And so there's sort of that, that attractive force that is moving me towards willingness to say, take the 12 steps. And then there was this sort of pushing force of the pain hitting the bottom over and over in different ways. Every time I thought, I've got this taped. Now I can coast. I don't have to, you know, keep working this program hard. Boom. Something else would, would hit me. And, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess there's more work to do here. Isn't there? I wrote here in the notes. I said, eventually I was willing to try something new, anything new because the pain was so great. And then I saw people who were getting better and, and that, and that attracted me. And we talk about it being a program of attraction. And I think that attraction helps to, to encourage willingness, I guess. How did, how did you experience that? I guess I came in with a lot of willingness because I was in just such agony, you know, but it still took a long time. I, it still took a willingness to continue to show up every day. I mean, there was a period of time, honestly, Spencer, where I probably did a meeting a day for, I don't know, months, I would say, trying to find some relief. If it wasn't face-to-face, it was certainly a phone meeting. I did three or four or five months straight of the phone meetings every morning, 6 a.m., where they read the three daily readers. I mean, I had buckets of willingness, I guess, in hindsight, and that's perhaps why I continue to come. I kept coming back because I just, like a grain of sand, I felt better just so gradually, but I did feel better. Some days, not so much. Some days, worse. But over the entire spectrum, I could see that I was feeling better. And I put it this way in a share last week that it was on progress, not perfection. And, you know, the progress that I've experienced is because I've been putting, you know, I made the analogy of my daughter's piggy bank. And she has this huge blue Crayola crayon, you know, which is slit in the top. Pocket change goes in there every so often and a couple of pennies, sometimes a, a couple of quarters. But by the end of uh, six months, that thing weighs about 10 pounds. And it's a lot of money. With that analogy, I continue to deposit pocket change. You know, I use that for the slogans in the room. They're pocket change. I can take those changes and put them in my pocket when I leave the room. I can take a slogan and call it my pocket change. Today's pocket change is easy, does it? Or let go and let God. But I continue to to make deposits into that bank of recovery. And eventually, I'm pretty rich. I have pretty rich recovery. Not to, not to stretch the analogy too far, but I do feel that I have a spiritual depth now that allows me to handle the most difficult situations with such increased level of ease, comfort, and grace so as not to bankrupt the large deposits that I've made towards my recovery. If that makes any sense. It, it makes sense to me. It does. I found another reading. There were a lot of readings, like I said. Uh, this one, chapter 10 in How Al-Anon Works is titled Changed Attitudes. And we've pulled, I think, any number of readings on any number of topics from that chapter. That's a really powerful chapter oh, yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And it harkens back to this thing we say in the intro to the podcast, so much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery, which I have to say, I think we lifted almost verbatim from the Al-Anon preamble. And in this chapter, this paragraph speaks to me, or I recognize myself in this paragraph and what I was saying about hitting, hitting a bottom over and over in different ways. 
It says, even after we recognize a self-defeating attitude, we may be dismayed to find it popping up unexpectedly again and again. There we go. Boom. Again and again. The attitude seems to stand out. We wonder how we ever could have missed it and whether others have been aware of it, how destructive it is. But before we can take effective action, before we can actually change a negative outlook to a positive one or change self-pity into gratitude, we have to accept ourselves precisely the way we are. I'm going to pause here for a minute because accept ourselves precisely the way we are takes willingness. And to me, that is the core of steps four, inventory five, admitting our faults and six, becoming ready to have them removed. That process four, five, six is about accepting me as I am that I find out what it is in step four. I openly admit it in step five and in step six, I accept it, that this is part of me. This is the way I am now. And then it goes on. The reading goes on. We need to admit that the disturbing habit or attitude is a part of us. Yes. We need to acknowledge our feelings and perceptions as they are. And we also need to cultivate the willingness to change. And that is the core of step six for me. Admit that Well, admit is step five, acknowledge our feelings and perceptions as they are and cultivate the willingness to chain that. To me, that is step six, uh, becoming entirely ready to have all these defects of character removed. Because we cannot do this alone, we ask our higher power for help. There we are. Boom. Step seven, asking for help. As we become willing, we search for positive aspects in every situation and find gifts hidden in even the most trying times. Gradually and at first imperceptibly, our outlook shifts until the world actually appears brighter and more inviting. In time, situations that would have given rise to any number of negative attitudes pass almost unnoticed. We may even find something in these situations for which we can be grateful. And that that is captures for me again the work of step seven for me the work of step seven is recognizing these situations in which i used to act in a particular way and i'm now able to act in a new way i'm able to let go of a negative feeling and find a positive feeling or whatever it is that is captured in those four sentences and it's all about willingness to change because without the willingness to change i can't do that next set of actions of search for positive aspects in every situation and find gifts hidden in even the most trying times, which reminds me just totally, uh, well, it's, it is apropos. So my wife and I were watching an episode of criminal minds last night. I know it's from a previous season. I'm not sure exactly how long ago, but at the end of that episode, they always bracket the episode with, with quotes and, At the end of the episode, they had a quote from Marilyn Monroe that said almost exactly that, that finding the gifts hidden in even the most trying times. I don't remember the exact quote. And my wife said, wow, she was really smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I love this paragraph. I just, oh my God, there's so much in this paragraph. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, the last two sentences I just highlighted, underlined. Circled. I mean, asterisk. As we become willing to search for positive aspects in every situation and find gifts hidden in even the most trying times. God, I mean, I have so many examples of that. Situations that would have given rise to any number of negative attitudes pass almost unnoticed. Really? Is that possible? It's actually true. In the last week, I've had such incredible challenges, and I have found... That if I just stayed present, aware, and open to go with the flow, as our first reading said, that there were positive outcomes. I found a way to turn it positive. It's just, all this reminds me of something, I guess, deeply inside of me that was ingrained. That's a character trait, thank God, of my father's. The guy could find something pleasurable or enjoyable or something to take our mind off, sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic hmm. with no air conditioning and, you know, uh, everyone having to pee, you know, when we were <laughs> seven years old. I mean, oh boy, he had the ability to just see the positive side of things or maybe ignore the negative or just he made a choice that, you know, yep. it's pouring rain and we can't have our picnic that we're all packed up to go and have. So, hey, how about a movie? That sounds pretty good. He just would always find a, a way to turn the grass greener. 
which was not sort of a Pollyanna thing, like, oh, hey, it's raining. It's wonderful to have a picnic in the no. rain. It was like, no, let's let's take what we have, accept what's happening, and and find find something that is positive in this. That's that's great. He was just genuine about it. It was no, it was, it, it was just in his nature. You know, his grandfather, it was had that same quality. And I remembered him just finding the, just fun and pleasure in, in anything, sitting around. You know, the guy who had a little cottage in Vermont and he would look at, at it from afar and say, hey, it's kind of a nice place and has a nice, and, uh, but then I'd be watching my grandfather and he'd be sitting and he, he was always very formal. He'd have a, jacket and a white shirt on and sometimes a bow tie and you know it's a sunday morning and we're sitting around a cottage in the woods mm-hmm. but i'd notice and looking at him there'd be this little chipmunk and he was sitting so still and i watched it for 15 minutes eventually the chipmunk ran up his leg and took a little breadcrumb he'd been holding huh. out of his fingers huh. just <sighs> something that i guess buried deep in all of us is that the ability to find that is what I'm coming back to this program every day for that situations that could be negative pass almost unnoticed last week being a perfect example, six, seven years ago, it would have been, it would have kept me in this, in a basement of uh, doom and uh, despair for weeks and weeks and weeks. I don't think I suffered through more than a few hours, even if that mm. it was uncomfortable. Yes. It was painful, sure. Did I suffer? No. I don't think I suffered at all. That's the biggest difference in my seven years of working this program. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. I, I now choose not to suffer. It's just transformative. You found a... A Psychology Today article, I guess it was. Oh, yeah. There are two that I found. I'm going to skip to the second, which actually it says how embracing vulnerability strengthens our relationships. Mm-hmm. The way our mind works if we're working our recovery and trying to grow is we find power and strength in the strangest of places. This goes to say that our reasons for avoiding being vulnerable are deeply personal and specific to our unique experiences. They often tie back to very early in our lives. Children are keen observers. We learn how to relate from our earliest relationships. We absorbed how our parents saw and treated us, themselves, and others. Limitations in our environment or ruptures in our childhood relationships gave us a model for how we now see ourselves in the world around us. For example, if we had a rejecting or neglectful parent, we may see ourselves as a burden or intrusion. If we had a parent who was critical or flew off the handle, we may walk on eggshells and keep to ourselves. Whatever the circumstance, the message most of us internalize is that it's not okay to just be me. We grew up believing to varying degrees that something about us is flawed or shameful. As a result, we expect that we won't be acceptable and that others will fail us. We try to protect ourselves by keeping up our guard. But here's where it gets interesting. Says originally we developed our defenses to protect ourselves when we were dependent and helpless and felt overwhelmed by the hurt of, be, of being rejected, ignored, or not getting our needs met. But ultimately our defenses lead us astray because as adults we can tolerate pain and frustration. Being defended and unwilling to be vulnerable hurts our connections to others. And then just jumping ahead, yet our willingness to be vulnerable and tolerate intimacy matters much more than we think. A few years ago, researcher Breen Brown conducted thousands of interviews and came to the conclusion that the key to connection is vulnerability. There can be no intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, physical intimacy without vulnerability. Vulnerability is a glue that holds intimate relationships together. And, you know, willingness is all about being vulnerable to say, I don't know, I need help. The things on the next page are just five things that are, you know, talked about. I'll read just the headings and tell me if this doesn't sound like program to you. One, ask for what you need. Hmm. Two, be willing to expose your feelings. Three, say what you want. Four, express what you really think. Five, slow down and be present. Pretty amazing. And all of those take willingness because all of those 
are about being vulnerable in some way or another. If I say what I want, you might say no, and that leaves me vulnerable. But if I don't say what I want, I'm very much not likely to get what I want, you know, because you can't read my mind or my wife can't read my mind or whoever it is. My boss can't read my mind. The people that work for me can't read my mind. And if I don't say, this is what I'd like you to do, well, they're likely to not do what I, you know, need them to do. So it's all there. This morning, I met with the seventh grade youth with whom I'll be spending Sundays over the next eight or nine months. And I try to make a connection. They're at an age where they can start to make real connections with adults that are based on a level relationship rather than a power relationship. And that that's a lot of actually what we try to do in, in our seventh grade curriculum there. So I, I start out by speaking to them, not at them. And I start out by letting a little bit of me show that's vulnerability. It felt like we were really already starting to cohere a little bit. The, the eight, 12 year olds and the adults that were in the room starting to cohere a little bit as a group that maybe trusted each other a little bit and maybe could open up with each other a little bit. We'll see how it goes. But it, 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 to me, this, this reading, this article speaks very closely to an experience that I had just this morning. And that willingness as an adult to not have to be the person who has all the answers. And some, uh, very often I think we, we feel in our relationships with, with younger people, with children in particular, that, that we have to be the person with all the answers and, and to be willing to not be that person, to be willing to say, I don't know, let's, let's explore this together. I think makes for a much more powerful learning experience than being the guy with the answers and trying to force them into the little skulls across the room from me. I'm getting way off topic, but it, it, this is something that I have learned in recovery. So that's to me how it connects. All right. I'll move on now. You know, I was thinking, uh, I don't know where this falls, but I go back to a movie that I really love called Contact with Jodie Foster and Matthew yes. McConaughey. Well, the two, there's two things. The second one I've never shared about just popped into my head. But the first one was when, uh, you, you know, she's a scientist and agnostic and, you know, needs proof. And, and at one point, Matthew McConaughey is a spiritual leader to the world and the president or whatever, spiritual guide for the president. He said, Oh, you, so you need proof, right? You need proof that there's a superior being, a higher power, a God, even though 95% of the world has some belief in some spiritual deity of some sort. She said, that's right. I need proof. I'm a scientist. And he said, okay. Hmm. Well, did you love your father? And her father had passed away when she was very young, 13. And he, she said, what? I said, yeah. Did, did, did you love your father? And she said, of course I love my father. And McConaughey said, yeah, prove it. Prove it. So, I mean, some of willingness is to just admit that I don't know and that as in the share of my sponsee, Don, the willingness to be willing to uh, yep. to say, I am not in charge and I will do whatever my program tells me to do as much, the best of my ability. And not question it. The other, the other um, section of that film, towards the very, very end, she has a group of kids uh, out on this, uh, I think they call it the Big Array or something, where they have these multiple, multiple huge satellites that they put into series and they can uh, rotate to look into deep space for signs of intelligence. The kids are there on a field trip with their school. One of the kids asks her, do you think there are other planets out there that have intelligent life? She says, well, what do you think? And he says, I don't know. And she says, I think that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's just willingness to say, I don't know. 
I, you know, I think in the beginning of the program, I would never have said, I don't know, because it would have felt weak. Yeah. I had to know everything. Yeah. You know, I had to control everything because everything was so out of control. And I didn't know what was going to happen five minutes from now. It was just living in chaos. So if I didn't know, no one knew. And then it was even more chaotic. Mm. So anyway, mm -hmm. that just popped into my head. That little scene there is just very beautiful at the end of that movie. Why don't we close with some quotes? You've got some quotes here, don't you? Oh, yeah. As I am one to do. Mm -hmm. Someone named Toba Beta, B-E-T-A, said, Human willingness to believe precedes their ability to think. If that's true, then willingness is, in fact, step zero. Mm -hmm. And this is another one, Sharon E. Rainey. Something in a book she wrote, Making a Pearl from the Grit of Life says, I knew if I stayed where I was, nothing would get better. Nothing would change. If I wanted to ease the pain, I had to try something different. Again, speaking directly to the willingness to try oh, yeah. something different. And this one is uh, somebody named Jeffrey Fry. that says, great leadership involves three things. The ability to realize when you're wrong, a willingness to learn from it, and an eagerness to change course if necessary. Boy, we came in here knowing that our life was unmanageable, you know, something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, we became willing, I became willing to learn and eager to change. And that's work in the program. Yep. And there's one here that that I like, uh, Meister Eckhart, who was, yep. what, medieval or, or Renaissance uh, um, mystic or something, said, be willing to be a beginner every single morning. Keep on being open to new things. Being willing to be open to new things is the way I read that. Yeah. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives. The first musical selection, I I plugged Willing into Spotify just to see how many songs had Willing in the title, and there's a bunch of them. I picked this one by Prince, Willing, and Able. A few of the lyrics here speak to this notion of willingness being necessary to to get us to a destination, to get us to a goal. Said, I'm willing and I'm able, I'm ready to place my cards on the table. I've been holding back this feeling for far too long. Now that I'm willing, its effect is, is truly mighty strong. Like a child lost in the wilderness, till I reach my destination, I won't rest. And so, you know, he's willing, he's willing to put it out there and to try to work to get to his destination so he's not lost in the wilderness. So I read that. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings in our lives recently. Some of you may have noticed that there was not a podcast posted last week. That's because I got sick. Part of the thing that I have learned in recovery, and maybe just part of getting older, but is that when I'm sick, I need to take care of myself. I need to get more sleep. I need to not inflict my disease on my coworkers. And so I took some days off. Did not have the, the time, the energy to, uh, to make a podcast. Did not have the time, the energy to go to work for a couple of days. It kind of took me down for about three days. So that was, that was a thing that happened. Um, <laughs> and in consequence, I missed, I missed the group conscience for my Sunday night meeting at which the topic of uh, crosstalk and what can we do to try to minimize it was, was brought up. And I gathered there was some discussion. I talked to somebody who was there. I talked to the person very briefly. There was an agreement that we should try to do something. And I think what we're going to try to do is to put some more words into our opening sort of defining what crosstalk is. And so we're all supposed to come back next month to the group conscience with some notion, some description of crosstalk. And so I guess I'm going to put this out to the, uh, the recovery community who's listening. If you, maybe your meeting has some words that you think describe crosstalk really well, I would love to hear them from you. If you could email them to me at feedback at the recovery dot show, that would be so helpful. I talked about 
starting with the, the new crop of seventh graders this morning. And it's going to be interesting. They're very different from the, the kids we had last year. So keeps life from being boring, I guess. Also, yesterday, I presented an open talk. Our Al-Anon district sponsors an open talk every month, and I had been asked to present for September. It was it was a small turnout. Ann Arbor has a university. That university has a football team that does pretty well a lot of the time and has a rabid fan base. Um, rabid may not be the appropriate word. Enthusiastic fan base. And so there was a game yesterday, and my talk was scheduled to be during the game because that's, you know, the way it is. My talk was in the afternoon. The game was in the afternoon. There you go. Uh, and it was actually scheduled to be during the game because that way people could actually get to the talk and then get away from it. Because when you've got a hundred thousand people in a small place, i.e. the stadium, and they're all trying to come or they're all trying to leave, uh, traffic gets pretty unmanageable for a while like an hour or two on either side of the game. Anyway, there was a, a, a small-ish turnout, uh, but there were people there. Uh, we ended up having to go with the flow, had to be willing to to change plans at the last minute because the room in which we normally did the open talk was locked and there was nobody there with a key. So we found another room to to do it in, and I did record it. I'll probably post it up maybe sometime this week as a sort of an extra episode. So that's been my sort of recovery life over the last week or so. How about you, Eric? As I said, my week was a, a bit of a roller coaster um, for my loved ones. I did manage to get to uh, just one meeting on Saturday, a, a different meeting, so one that I used to go to routinely for, I don't know, maybe three years ago I went for six or eight months until I found something a little closer that I liked. But it's a really great meeting, and it's, a, like I said, a pitch meeting. And the group is probably 40 or 50 people. The group, the leader chose the topic, uh, progress, not perfection. I really enjoyed it. I, did, I think a lot of stuff came up in that share of mine that, I just kind of pulled from memory out of the books and, you know, the notion of the oak tree grows stronger in contrary winds. I think that the end of that same phrase is that diamonds are made under pressure. Hmm. Somehow that meant to me, you know, things take time, you know, progress may be, and it says somewhere else, you know, occasionally a flash of brilliance and a, a bolt of awareness, but more often than not, it's just grains of sand that, you know, pile up and be, and, and, and form a beach. Uh, that doesn't happen overnight. And so that was a really great meeting. Otherwise the week was, uh, you know, dedicated to trying to rest and, um, taking care of myself, practicing a fair amount of meditation, if not quite actually more off more than usual. I'm, I'm up to quite a bit. Uh, during the night and early morning, uh, with the Insight Timer app, I published another song on there, another mm -hmm. meditation called Forest Cathedrals. It starts off with a lot of just forest noises of animals and nature and then some beautiful harp and flute music comes in. It's only about a seven, seven and a half minute meditation, but in one day, less than 24 hours, it had, I think, 3,000 plays. So I'm grateful that other people found it enjoyable as well. That kind of was my week. Basically, my I didn't have a lot of time to get to meetings for reasons I won't go into, but I uh, was able to continue my program with the tools that work for me on a daily basis, which is the daily readers, uh, meditation, prayer, and uh, speaking and reaching out to my sponsor. So that's how my week went. We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. You can share how recovery works in your life. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your share, your feedback, your questions. And Eric, how can people send us feedback? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback 
at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of willingness or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. You can go to our website, which is therecovery.show, which has information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to YouTube videos for the music we talk about, links to the Psychology Today articles that we talked about. Also, on the website, there is a contact page that has all the information, the phone number, etc., about how to send feedback if you don't remember what we just said, uh, which certainly is a thing that happens to me on occasion. And Eric, you suggested a Jason Mraz song, I think, as a second song for this episode. Yeah, Jason Mraz is one of my favorite artists. He's got to be in some program because a lot of his lyrics speak to our concepts. And this one's called I'm Yours. And it's uh, part of, I'll just paraphrase and read a few of the lyrics. It says, but I won't hesitate. No more, no more. I cannot wait. I'm yours. Well, open up your mind and see like me. Open up your plans and damn, you're free. Look into your heart and you'll find love, love, love. Listen to the music of the moment. People dance and sing. We're just one big family. It's our God-forsaken right to be loved, loved, loved. Got a few emails this week. A request from Tiff. Tiff writes, A huge thank you for your time and contributions to the recovery community with this work you are doing. Your website is quickly becoming my go-to resource for recovery content between my meetings. I was wondering if it's possible for you to look into why episodes 4 through 8 have no audio to listen to. And can you please clarify for me how long these recordings will be available online? A friend mentioned to me you are only able to keep a certain number of them on the site. Peace and serenity to you all. Tiff. Okay, so... That alerted me to something I wasn't aware of, which is that there were some episodes on the website that the play button was missing from. You couldn't play them directly from the website. And I found out why that was, and I took the appropriate action to make the play button come back. I think they're all fixed now. If you find uh, an episode on the website that doesn't have a way to play it there, please let me know, because I do know how to address it. The other question was about how long recordings are available online. My intent is that the recordings will be available online on the website essentially forever, um, which means, you know, until I'm no longer able to keep that website up, I guess is what it really means, like I die or something. But we're not going to think about that today. The limit that your friend was thinking about is how many episodes can be like in iTunes or can be in whatever, if you're using a podcast app uh, on your phone or whatever to listen to the podcast, there are, there is a limit as to how many episodes can be displayed there. And it was recently raised from 200 to 300 by the keepers of the iTunes stuff, Apple, I guess, I don't know exactly. And so since I don't have 300 episodes, they should all still be available in your favorite podcast player and they will always all be available on the website for however long, as I said, however long I can actually keep them there. Diana has a topic idea. Hi Spencer. I thank God for your program. I've just started listening and I am making my way through the previous episodes. Thank you. They've helped me through this difficult time. Recently I discovered that my husband of 29 years has been back in his disease the scary thing is, he said he had not been sober for the past 10 years. He has been on and off for more than a month, but always went back. I've been living in denial because I've seen signs. I didn't want to accept it. However, when I did manage to ask if he was back in his disease, he would lie. He tends to stay up late while I need to go to sleep to wake up early. So he would take advantage of that time to stay in his disease. My topic suggestion is, how would you handle a setback that you fear will never recover? Thank you, Diane. I'm, I'm pretty sure we've done some episodes that, that at least touch on this. There's one that I'm remembering 
titled Living with Active Alcoholism or Living with an Alcoholic, something something to that effect, Living with Alcoholism maybe. And there was also a couple of episodes on relapse. And I will put links to, since I can't remember the episode numbers right now, I'll put links to those episodes in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 216. If, if you're struggling with that, it is, it is a good topic. Um, also, I guess I would point to the episode that I mentioned maybe last week, the week before about hope and dealing with, you know, somebody who's still in their disease, but maybe having hope that, that they could get out, but also being maybe realistic and how, how you live with it now. I don't know if I hope that helps. Is that, do you have thoughts on, on Diane's question? Well, you know, I mean, relapse is certainly many episodes with that in the title. I don't know if this is one of those, but this is a really good one. Uh, and maybe this is something we should think about doing a full episode on is the idea that it may never change. The person that we hope and love will find recovery may never find it. And, you know, I, uh, I've been experiencing it firsthand right now that full recovery, permanent recovery, long-term sobriety for someone truly afflicted with the disease of addiction or alcoholism is, uh, is by no means a guarantee. And that's the sad truth. So I, that's one of my only thoughts on it. On the other hand, people do find recovery and that's the, yeah, there is hope. Yes. Always. Yeah. So Laura wrote, um, about finding a sponsor. She says, hi, I've been listening to your show for a few months and it's what's helped me through most of my recovery. I live abroad, which is where I first came to find Al-Anon. The group here is small, but meaningful. Your podcasts have given me that extra bit I was craving from recovery. Thank you. I have a question about finding a sponsor and starting step work. I love my group, but I don't connect to them as much as I would hope when seeking a sponsor. And since we're a small fellowship, I'm turning to the internet to maybe help find that guidance I'm seeking. I was wondering if you had any advice on finding someone online that could help me through the steps of recovery and life. Thanks for your time. And thanks for keeping me sane across the pond, Laura. I don't have like advice. Okay. What I would suggest is that there are online recovery communities and that you could go into those communities. The one that I'm most familiar with is uh, in the rooms.com, but I know there are others. It's sort of social networking for recovery there. And, and you can sort of put out a feeler, I think, find some, some, some friends just like on Facebook and uh, sort of like on Facebook. I don't know. Look for people who post topics that speak to you. The other thing that, I would say about finding a sponsor is if you're not sure you want to commit to a particular person, you can ask them to be a resource for your step work. You can ask them to be a temporary sponsor. Sponsorship is not like marriage. It doesn't take a lot of work to dissolve the relationship if it's not working. And I think if that can make it sort of easier to to think about finding a sponsor if if you realize that you don't have to commit forever. Just some thoughts. You have any thoughts for Laura? Well, I was looking as you were talking upon the uh, phonemeetings.org website with all of the different phone meetings mm-hmm. that are almost all day long. Every couple hours, there's a phone meeting you can dial into. And I believe some or one or two of them a week are on the subject of sponsorship. And those might be a place to go to listen Mm, that's a good idea. Yeah. How others have found their way in. Uh, I actually had someone from California on a phone ask me to sponsor him temporarily for, and it was six or eight months. And he would call me every few days because he heard me sharing on a phone meeting. He since went on to find someone local in one of his meetings. But, you know, it can happen just that, yeah. that way. If you hear something, someone that you like that has what you want, reach out and try to connect. And that's how it starts. Thanks, Eric. Sure. Kayla sends thanks. Spencer, thank you so much for the time and thought you put into the podcast. I look forward weekly to listening to the newest one while I take a walk. I can relate to the turmoil in your life as you deal with your parents' aging issues as my mother passed a year ago after living here 10 years with dementia. 
Now, my father is in early stages. Thank you for your faithfulness to your listening audience. I'm so blessed and strengthened by listening. Blessings on you and your family, Kayla. Thanks, Kayla. And and thanks for understanding when there was no newest one last week. Um, Leah says, Dear Spencer and team, thank you so much for your wonderful podcast. Being a mom with two young kids, I spend a lot of time at home and only manage to get to one meeting a week. I listen to your podcast whenever I get the chance, and it helps me stay on track and gives me a boost when I feel flat. I'm so grateful that you are there and give this service to us all over the globe. Leah from Australia. And it always amazes me the reach that podcasting has. You know, yesterday I stood in a room and I spoke to, oh, a dozen or so people. And I think I had more jitters doing that than I do sitting down in front of this microphone that is going out to thousands of people, but I don't see you all at once. And it's wonderful to hear that we are and our message. And that's the important thing is the message that we are carrying is being heard. And by the way, I'll just mention again something you added to the about section at the recovery dot show, which does actually say who's listening and where. I think it's an amazing little feature. I had really no idea when we started doing this five to seven thousand people typically downloaded a weekly episode, and there've been over one point two million downloads since you started. Pretty cool. Yeah, I should update that. I think the last data is from like May or something, but it hasn't changed yeah. a whole lot except the total number's gone up. I mean, the international globe, the map is pretty phenomenal. You know, people in Norway, Sweden, Ireland, Germany, I mean, Australia. all over the Turkey, yeah, and even down under. Yeah. Uh, a couple of short notes. Sue says, thank you for your service. Just listened again to, I didn't get emotionally sober for this shit. Hope you can keep it up. And Danielle says, thank you so much for all you do and share by providing experience, strength, and hope. My journey in recovery has benefited greatly from your show. And and thanked, thanks to both of you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses, which are running about $60 or probably a little more, actually, each month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Nancy, Eric, Danielle, Kayla, Gloria, and Susan did. And thank you again for your support. The last song that I pick is by Rush. Uh, the song is titled One Little Victory. And again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 216. It talks about being willing, being willing to risk defeat in order to find victory. And so it's a little bit of a, maybe a stronger message than what we've been talking about here. We don't talk about words like defeat and victory in the program, but I think the message is there. A certain measure of innocence, willing to appear naive, a certain degree of imagination, a measure of make-believe, a certain degree of surrender to the forces of light and heat, a shot of satisfaction in a willingness to risk defeat. Celebrate the moment as it turns into one more, another chance at victory, another chance to score. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.